0: Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're here at the ASCO Annual Meeting and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Newcomb. Thanks for coming on. Today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're presenting a poster here about uncertainty and coping in patients with newly diagnosed indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. To start off, could you tell us a little bit about indolent NHL and why you chose to study this patient population?
1: Sure. So as background, I'm an oncology fellow at the combined Dana-Farber Mass General Cancer Center. and one of the things I noticed in my clinical year is that there was a population of patients, new consults with lymphoma, that they just were so, they had a lot of distress about their diagnosis, and it was actually these patients with indolent diseases, so CLL that you know was just a high number on a blood count but no actual symptoms, or follicular lymphoma that was found incidentally on a CAT scan biopsied And now all of a sudden you have a patient who is being told simultaneously that they have cancer and that they shouldn't worry because the vast majority of these patients go on to live lives in which the cancer doesn't have meaningful impact. And if it does have impact, we have good treatments now. Mm -hmm. And I think that I just found myself repeating that phrase to patients, but it didn't seem to be registering right. in the sense of like, you know, they were, there was still a lot of distress around that. Right. So I wanted to study that more.
0: Right. Uh, what are some of the major causes of uncertainty that uh, newly diagnosed patients with this experience?
1: Yeah, I think when we did a literature search, there was some degree to people who people had somewhat looked at this and tied it to fear, say you're on active surveillance, so you're just getting your blood counts monitored, maybe you're getting CAT scans or PET scans. And so just the fear of needing treatment was one area that had been sort of documented. And then the other area that had been documented was fear of transformation to a more aggressive lymphoma, which, which you know, can happen. Uh, not frequently, but not, not rarely, so to speak. But so those were two areas. And my mentor had recently developed a new scale called the prognostic awareness impact scale which we had used to study patients with aggressive lymphoma who were receiving uh, CAR T-cell therapy. But nobody had ever used this scale uh, to really assess people's perception of prognosis with indolent diseases. Um, and it's an interesting instrument because you get people's cognitive understanding of their prognosis, you get how they're emotionally coping, and then you get their, the behaviors, the adaptive behaviors that they've sort of implemented after learning about their diagnosis. Um, and so I just thought this was a cool opportunity to better explore what people's perceptions of their prognosis was, and to do it right at diagnosis when their distress seemed to be quite
0: high. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, so, what were the coping strategies that you found to be most effective? Uh,
1: so it's hard. So effective is an interesting word because we the this this published data is uh, just looking at the, at the time of diagnosis. Um, certainly, patients who used more approach-oriented coping techniques. Mm -hmm. So by approach-oriented, it's really you're sort of seeking support outside of yourself, whether you're looking to others for emotional support or you're you're cognitively reframing um, whatever it is that you're coping with. So people that use multiple of those strategies seem to have a better baseline quality Mm -hmm. of life as well as less psychological distress. Um, Sort of remains to be seen, at least in our data, what that's like in their first year diagnosis, we're still collecting data right. uh, at different time points uh, for those things. The other thing with using this new scale is it seemed that people that more, that used higher emotional coping, so be, what that means is basically more adaptively coping with the idea of their prognosis, they also had um, better quality of, uh, reported higher quality of life and uh, less distress. Okay. So that was sort of interesting. Definitely. It kind of jives. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I think the the next series of questions is just going to revolve around can we design interventions to support that, so either to keep that high throughout the first year of diagnosis, or take people that aren't using those techniques and sort of promoting them.
0: Right, right, definitely. Um, Do you have any advice or strategies um, for clinicians um, whose patients are experiencing uncertainty about how they can help support them?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think, I guess, there are, I would say two things. One is, even though I found the reframe of reassurance, sort of maybe not resonating, I think that that is still a really important message. and And the fact is that many patients actually receive that receive it, and that probably helps them with their coping. So having having some understanding of what's ahead um, is probably a good thing. So disease education, as a lot of lymphoma specialists or people are out doing out there in the community already, um, I think is really important. And I think what we'll find is that there's a subset of patients who still have distress, who may need something more. And that's where we're hoping to come in with filling that space with with a supportive intervention. Uh, So um, in general, in the absence of something that's tailored to that, Cancer centers that have access to social workers or uh, particularly for patients with persistent anxiety and distress, maybe you know uh, there are therapy or uh, resources, psychology resources that could be that could be helpful, but all that's a little premature to say I don't have actually any <laughs> hard data to suggest that people should be doing that, but that's what we're hoping to sort of develop. Uh, as we get this, as we get, as more of this data comes in. So.
0: Right, that's great. That's definitely really important. Um, one last question I'll ask you is because um, the theme of of ASCO this year is partnering with patients. Um, obviously, this study definitely addresses that. Um, how does how does this theme fit into your research and your and your work with patients? In,
1: in general, so the sort of work that I do, and I guess you could kind of broadly put it, supportive oncology. Uh, you have to partner with patients, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, a lot of the things I want to do is about. Improving the patient experience. So everybody's cancer journey has ups and downs and uh, Obviously innovating on treatments and treatment paradigms and sequences of therapies is super important And there's a lot of innovation in that space. I think also at the same time we have to be innovating and kind of Supporting people's psyche through the whole thing and their families Uh, And the only way you can do that is through patient-centered research is just asking people how they feel following them taking that information and developing interventions that work for people that are um, so uh, you, you have to partner with patients for
0: that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome. Well, this is really great to hear about your study this thank you so much for stopping by to talk about it yeah
1: yeah thanks thanks so much for having me this was really fun